0: Morning. Good morning. Thank you to Gary and Sharon, Emma, Bruce, Ryan for that opening, just for helping us focus our thoughts on what it's all about. The majestic, holy, perfect God who loved us so much that he sent his son for us. It's just so amazing. Last week uh, Phil Donaldson addressed a, a challenging passage from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and he noted some of the issues that the apostle Paul was addressing to the church and these included the need for men to ensure that their hearts were in the right place when they were praying and he's also correcting teachings of the false goddess Diana or Artemis and noted he noted that God is pleased when people pray and when they're saved through him by faith in Jesus Christ. We also please God individually and collectively when we study his word, when we use those spiritual gifts we've been given, when we participate in ministries, as he calls us, when we live as redeemed people, following his leading and singing his praises in our lives and through our lives. When we build the local church body. This morning, we're going to continue our study of Paul's letter to Timothy. And specifically this morning, we're going to be looking at the qualifications of overseers or elders from chapter three. I'm going to touch on that part specifically. And uh, later on, when we get to chapter five, David Hook will be talking a bit more about uh, elders later on. If you're not sure where this is found in in your Bibles, uh, It's found, there's some brown Bibles in the pews, or I'll have uh, most of the scriptures up, but it's found on page 1,847. So this morning, I'm gonna break our our passage into four rough sections. We're just gonna talk about the, the qualifications that the Bible says an elder must have I'll talk a little bit about terminology, a bit about our practice here at Bible Fellowship Assembly, and then just uh, some words for application. I must admit that I personally find this to be a, a very challenging passage. As preachers, it's our job to explain what God's Word is saying and how we can apply it to our lives every day today. Invariably, the preacher learns just much, if not more, than those that he ends up preaching to. And this one feels really awkward because on one hand, I don't uh, think I'm perfectly qualified for this. Uh, I don't think anyone would say that they're perfectly qualified and meet all those qualifications perfectly. Uh, And on the other hand, when you look at it, it kind of feels like boasting a bit. Let's just commit this time to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Father in Heaven, we just marvel at your goodness and your love for us. It's so amazing that the God who created the heavens and the earth created and loved ones like us. What can we say? Father, it's so amazing that you sent your Son for us so that we can put our trust in him and through that have a relationship with you. And we thank you for your Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your word that we can open and study this morning. And Father, I pray that you would just help us all just to open our hearts and our minds just to learn a bit more and just to draw closer to you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anyone here applied for a job recently? What did you see on the job ad? must have proof you have a certain diploma or a degree. So you got to have something that says you got some qualifications. Uh, and there's some really good reasons for that, right? You know, they, they talk about having a doctor shortage, but I don't think there's too many of us that should be lining up for that job and saying, you know, we can do it. You have to have certain qualifications. You need to have a certification or a seal to be in some trades to show that you've got the necessary qualifications to be doing a certain job. Maybe you need to learn how to read and apply building codes or some strange legislation and policies. So you get a manualistic and you have to figure out what that means when you're building a dock. Sometimes you have to bring your own tools to the job. So for some, maybe that's a challenge because tools can be awful expensive. And if you have to confront those yourselves, then you might need a little bit of help with that. And some might say, you know what? You need to provide your own vehicle and you better have a a valid driver's license, not just a driver's license, but it's gotta be in good standing. Most of those things you can get through school, through an apprenticeship, driver's ed. Uh, Not sure if it works so well when your parents teach, teach you how to drive, but uh, you can get those through some kind of a formal education. There are other qualifications that you might have to get differently. Uh, some you can learn, and some are, uh, you just learn through life. For example, you must be a team player. You must be able to develop and maintain good working relationships with others. You have to be able to take all those priorities that they give you, and you've got to juggle them, and figure out which ones are the most important ones for that day. And the expectation is, despite the fact there's a whole bunch of things, you're going to deliver the right stuff. It's primarily these latter types of skills, or these qualifications, what I've noted here as behavioral skills, that are the focus of our passage today. Having some education, knowing your Bible inside out is great, but there's more to that. Meet the qualifications that we're going to talk about. So let's look at our passage from First Timothy two or sorry, First Timothy three. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I there's also references to qualifications for elders in Titus chapter 1, uh, 5 to 9. And depending on how you read it, I think it, it talks to qualifications a little bit in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. Acts 20, says this. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Hmm. So the overseers are responsible for God's people in the local assembly, people that Jesus died for. And that's a pretty important role. Just think about, if you're going to go out and have somebody help you manage your finances, you go out and kind of ask a few other people what, how they are, if they've let them astray or if they do a good job. If you're looking to have somebody look after your loved ones, you check and see who they are and ask people about who they are first before you commit them into somebody else's hands. It's the same thing that God is saying here with his people in the local assemblies. I want to just take a quick look at this one in terms of The church of God, so the people of God, which he bought with his own blood. As I referred to earlier, that's what it's about. The fact that we're all created, God created everything that we see, everything that we need to exist, and he created us, and he loved us. We sung about that. We sung about his majesty, and how we have nothing. We're empty-handed, and yet he offers us grace, he offers his life. He offers us everything freely. And the only thing that you have to do to accept that is to realize that you, like the rest of us, are all sinners. We're all, we all fall short. And that we need to accept the fact that he died on our behalf and take that and apply that to our lives. And when we do that, then we are in a relationship with him. When we become Christian, that's when you become a Christian. At that point, he sends you his spirit and he leads us. We sung, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. And it's just so amazing. He just can't fathom, or I can't anyway, just the depth of that love for each of us. What he would go to for us. Because it wasn't anything he did. It was just for the sin of the world that Jesus died for us. And it's just so amazing. If, if you've never considered that, I hope you would today. If you've never realized what God has done and what he continues to do through his spirit for us, I trust that this would be the day that you consider it and make a commitment to him. So back to our, our qualifications So the first consideration is to have a desire. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, so the person should believe that God is calling him and the person must want to align his will with God's. Yes, there's got to be a passion for God, for the things of God and for the people of God. And Paul says that this is a noble task. The next one we just put in there is just willingness to work through difficulties. So sometimes it's, and I hope this comes across in the way I'm meaning it, you know, some parts are easier than others. It's easier to sit with somebody, to pray with somebody when they've got something to talk about, some of the things going on. Uh, there's some more challenging parts where you know, there's some differences of perspective in terms of doctrine or in terms of interpersonal things that, the elders are responsible for looking at. This is a bit more challenging, but you've got to be willing to look at that and to try and deal with that because that's just as important as preaching the word or praying with somebody. The overriding approach, or sorry, the overriding qualification that Paul is saying here is that the overseer must be above reproach. In other words, the person must be free of any significant shortfalls in character or behavior. The overseer set an example for others, and as such, that example has to be appropriate. It's not a case of do as I say, not as I do. No inconsistencies allowed here. And having said that, we are humans, and as such, we do fall short. And when we do that, we need to repent, seek forgiveness, and seek to move forward again. The next one is interesting. It says, he must be the husband of one wife. Now, I'm going to suggest that this does not preclude single males from being overseers. In First Corinthians 7, Paul speaks to the, the benefits of people being single. The fact that they can devote their lives to God and to pleasing God in their lives. So I don't think that's necessarily what this is saying here. It's saying, if somebody is married. Questions also arise as to whether or not somebody who was previously married can be an overseer or not. And I would suggest that the text doesn't preclude this at all. Instead, what it's talking about here is the current situation, that the person is the husband of one wife, that the person is faithful, the person is loving, and it's a monogamous marriage. Now, You know, if this was marriage number seven, well, maybe the conversation might be a little bit different, but uh, generally speaking, I think that's, I don't think it's looking at a second marriage. Divided the other qualifications into two categories, those qualifications the overseer must have and those that must not have. So in the must column, you have must be temperate, must be self-controlled, must be respectable, hospitable, able to teach, gentle. And also, the overseer must manage his own family well, his children must obey him and have a good reputation. So temperate can be referred to not being addicted to too much drink And that's actually listed in the the qualifications in in Titus, chapter 1. I think, however, this one talks more about being sober-minded, and that's how the English Standard Version translates it. Its ability to think rationally and clearly, it's about being open to the Spirit's leading. And similar to the next qualification of self-control, where an overseer needs to be able to stay calm in all circumstances, It's easy when something's going on to hear one side of the story and then just automatically move over this way and accept that side of the story. But the reality is there's two, sometimes three, sometimes more sides of the story and it's important to hear all sides of the story before figuring out a path forward. So some discernment and wisdom come in handy on those things. Self-control is also required in all aspects of life. right? There should be nothing in an overseer's life, nothing in anyone's life that is so consuming that takes up all their time and effort that it becomes the most important thing in their lives. Jesus accepted, of course. My father-in-law used to have a a saying that moderation, or in all things, moderation. No excess is allowed. A respectable one is one who is thought well of by others based on their conduct and their attitude. And I'm dating myself when I use this term. When I think of that, I think of the term upright. Uh, An overseer must also be hospitable. And hospitality shows a willingness to open yourself up to others, to be vulnerable when you're talking to others. And hospitality affords the time needed to have a conversation on a deeper level. It's wonderful to have a quick chat after church, but you need to kind of get past that, some of those just those things that you would just chat about briefly and get into those deeper discussions. It doesn't mean that one has to have a supernatural gift of cooking. Uh, nor is it about trying to impress the company. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how others feel. I don't mind eating out of the pot myself, but uh, some basic presentation probably doesn't hurt, though. Uh, but it's about the time spent together, and it's about the depth of the conversation that you can have when you get together with somebody and actually spend some time with them. The next qualification is the only one that's not really about the person's character. It's the ability to teach. And uh, as as some of you may have noticed, I'm already failing this morning. and I'm going to have to do better next time just in terms of timing of being being ready to go. But The overseer must know God's word and must be committed to ongoing study and ongoing learning. The elders are responsible to protect the church from false doctrine and philosophies and they need, need to be able to teach the truth of the word of God. It doesn't mean that uh, all have the spiritual gift of teaching, although that's beneficial. And it doesn't mean that all them will necessarily have to be up on the platform here on Sunday mornings. The ability to teach refers to that ability to explain the truth of the gospel message and refute those who would lead others away from it. Another qualification is gentleness. Responding to challenging situations gently instead of maintaining, or even worse, turning up the volume, is usually a good way to help people stay calm and work through their concerns. Proverbs 15.1 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.18 says a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Gentleness is one of the fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. It's also following the example of Jesus in Matthew 11, for example, when he said that he was gentle and lowly in heart. The overseer must also be able to manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. So the family is the testing ground. And the point is clear here. If somebody's family life is out of control, then that person shouldn't be worrying about God's family here or being a leader in God's family here at the same time. How the person acts at home is a good indicator of how they would act elsewhere. Now, Perhaps you recall having differences of opinion with your parents or maybe your children when they were growing up. It just seems to be a typical part of growing up, right? And maturing where children have to confirm their own identity, they have to determine where they want to go in life, and they have to make their own choices if they're gonna believe what you've taught them when they go out into the world. Titus one six notes that the children must believe and not be open up to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And the standard for the overseer here is based on how he deals with those difficult circumstances and how it's evidenced in some ways by how the children behave in home. Now, I would suggest that both the Timothy and the Titus passages refer to the time period when children are living at home and not the time after they move out. The wording in both is in the present tense. And I would also suggest that just as marriage is not a prerequisite to being an overseer, neither is having children. And the last one... On the must list is that the overseer must have a good reputation with others. So people outside the church, when you think of your calendar, people outside the church spend more time with you generally than those inside the church. How much time do you spend at the office or wherever else you're working or with your hobbies? How much time are you spend with your family? So it's just those people see you in a whole bunch of different circumstances. They're likely to see you in more adverse circumstances given times. And they're the ones that are going to see how you react probably just as much if not more than some people in the church. And they're the ones who are going to know where the bumps and the warts are. Earlier I said that the overseers are charged with setting an example. And as such, it's not do as I say, not as, sorry, do as I say, not as I do. And there's times when People get up and the preacher walks in and looks around and says, hmm, there are a lot of people missing today for whatever reason. They must have heard that I'm preaching. That's why they're not here today. Well, let's said in jest. I would suggest to you that it's a huge issue if people see the overseer or anyone else of any of us, for that matter, in a poor light. I said this before, but if people don't see... The fact that we know Jesus, the fact that Jesus is living in our lives and that we're living for Him. If they don't see that when we're out in the world, they're going to look and say, Well, why would I ever want to become a Christian? Like, look at that's what it is? I don't think so. Not how many of you at that. And I think the, you know, the worst thing that we'd never want to do would, you'd never want to do anything that would kind of draw negative tension towards the church and towards the Lord. Anything we do in our lives, and Jesus Himself had harsh words for those leaders, those Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, who said one thing, did another, who kind of twisted the word to their benefits. It starts with an H. I think people know what it is. It's kind of. It's on one of these. The hypocrite. And that's what Jesus said, you know, you hypocrites, you're doing this, you're like this, you're like whitewashed tombs, right? Look great on the outside, rotten on the inside. So on the other side of the list, there are characteristics that the elder should not be, or the overseer must be, not be. Not be given to drunkenness, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money not a new convert. That one's kind of interesting. I'm not going to get into them in great detail, but I think it's fairly obvious. These are the opposite of the character traits that the overseer must have. The person exhibiting these characteristics is really just focused on themselves, when you think of it, and not on the others. And the overseer's job is really focused much more on the others. And that's not the example that you want to be following. That last qualification, not being a new convert, I find interesting and when you take a step back, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's really exciting to see somebody just come to know the Lord. It's really exciting to see the passion, the enthusiasm. They're just, they're about that high off the ground and they're telling everybody about what they've newfound faith. And that's exciting and that's great to see. The warning is, however, not to be putting them in the spotlight too quickly. There's all kinds of challenges that they're going to come across. Um, if they're new to the faith that they haven't run across of these things, we're not sure how they're going to react. Some might do fine. For some, that might be a big stumbling block. And There's nothing that many people in the world and the devil wouldn't like to see is to see a newfound Christian fall flat on his face or her face and maybe even walk away from it. Because of that challenge. And that's not what you want to see up in terms of an overseer. Somebody's brand new, hits, the, hits a speed bump, and off they go. The other thing is just in terms of being able to work, help others work through situations and look at things. It just takes time to, it's time to learn more, time to grow, time to mature. And that's expected of the, the overseer. I'm to touch just a little bit on terminology. You may have noticed I've been using, for the most part, the term overseer. I think I've slipped in the word elder at sometimes, And this is what we see in, in verse 1 of Timothy. A trustworthy statement, if any man aspires to the office or episcope of overseer, it's a fine work, an overseer, episcopos, then must be above reproach, the husband of one life, and we looked at that. So, the, the one word here used is just referring to the office or the position of the overseer or the elder. And sometimes that's translated as visitation in the Bible. So, for example, looking at the visitation as in the day of your visitation, for example, in First Timothy 5 and 19, and in First Peter 2 and 12, it talks about that. The Episcopal post is the person. And it's somebody charged with the duty to oversee or make sure that things are done properly in the church. Uh, sometimes it's translated elder, sometimes it's overseer, uh, sometimes bishop. And when you look at some of the wording, it's always interesting because some of you might recognize that uh, the Anglican, what we know as the Anglican Church in the U.S., is the Episcopalian Church. Titus, also, when, when we're looking at that word, Titus says that the overseer must not be above reproach, and then you see the same word used in First Peter. You have returned to the shepherd and guardian, the Episcopos of your souls. Another word translated elder is presbyteros. And it can refer to an elder or an older man, uh, one who holds a specific office or position. And it's also a term for one who provides over assemblies or gatherings at churches. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. The same word is also used in Revelation when it talks about the 24 elders who are gonna be around the throne. And uh, certainly, th- this one anyway is not anywhere near those 24. Another word you may notice is the word shepherd. So when he uses the verb shepherd is to tend or to flock, or to feed, to govern, to serve. So the elders are responsible to make sure that the flock is nourished spiritually. And the Greek word translated shepherd as a verb is here, poimeio. poimeio. It's found three times in the context of Christian leaders in the New Testament. When Jesus came back and he asked Peter if he loves him. And three times he asked and one of the times he said, then feed my sheep in Acts twenty twenty eight, and 28, which you saw and we'll take a quick look at again, and in 1 Peter 5 two. And the noun pastor is only found in Ephesians 4 when Paul's talking about some of the gifts that were given to the church. He gives some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And the word shepherd itself isn't used for leaders in the church. Shepherd is used as a verb. We are to shepherd. But we're not referred to as shepherds in the New Testament. And of course, we know that the true shepherd is the Lord Jesus himself. So First Peter and Acts both kind of use those three terms kind of interchangeably. So, for example, in Acts 20... Uh, 17 and 17 and also Acts 20, verse 28. You see from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And then going farther on, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So the words are used interchangeably. To and just um, to summarize the qualifications of the overseer or the elder or the bishop uh, we use the term elder here the qualifications put into five words that start with C person's got to have character and you've seen the list of all the must haves the must not haves confidence the ability to teach the community minded so ability to work together to work with the other elders can't have one person saying This is the only way it's going to go. There's other elders that also need to feed in and they all need to work together. Courageous or courage to address false doctrine, to be able to work on interpersonal issues or challenges that come up. And the last one is really important, to be called. The person needs to be called by God and Others need to see evidence of the Holy Spirit working in that person. So here at Bible Fellowship Assembly, uh, our approach is to follow what we believe is that New Testament model. We have a a plurality of elders, of qualified men. The, so, in for example, when it talks about, in Acts 20 and 17, Paul says, From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called them the elders, plural, of the church singular. So that's why we have a plurality. I put in here qualified men. And again, last week, Phil talked about some of the, the challenges that were being addressed and doctrinal issues that were being addressed. One of the the things that was noted was that women were not to teach men the scriptures in the public setting or to have authentic or to exercise authority over men in the formal church setting. So as such, our practice and our understanding is that the role of elders and the role of teaching in the broader assembly like this one is the role of qualified men. To start... In case you're wondering, uh, the elders include Phil, who had to be away. For that, i got to look at my list so I don't miss anyone. Rod. Rod, Dave, Jim, Bruce, and Joe, and yours truly. So collectively, these are our roles at a high level. To feed the congregation, to ensure the ongoing public exposition of God's Word, to do the work of a shepherd, to lead by example, to support those who are weak for whatever reason at a given point in time, to rebuke, reprove, exhort as necessary, and I won't get into all the details of how some of this stuff happens, but, and just note the fact that all the ministry leaders are responsible to the elders group. So what does this mean for us? Well, for the elders, just a reminder to keep that fire burning hot, keep that passion for Jesus going. And most of all, to ensure that our lives are consistent God's calling. For others, pray. For, you, ask for prayer. For us, pray for each other. Share your prayer and your praise items with us. Communication goes two ways. It's important that we know uh, if there's something going on that we should be, that we can be praying about for you, or that that there's an issue going on that we should be you think we should be aware of. Hebrews thirteen seven says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And I'm going to suggest to you that maybe emulate is a better word. Because imitate means to copy. And my understanding of emulate means well keep the things that are good and actually do better. I don't think any of us are going to be offended if somebody draws really, really close to God and goes out and shares and helps others along in their lives, we'll be thrilled. So you can emulate our faith. So, now if you've been here and you're thinking, that's wonderful, there's seven guys that really have to pay attention to this one. Well, I wanna draw your attention to a few other verses in Hebrews, in chapter 13. This is to the, the broader group Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as as you are their fellow prisoners and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves are suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Indeed. Yep. Certainly we talked about the qualifications for elders, but the reality is God wants all of us to know him, to love him more, to live for him, and in our lives attract others towards him. Why? Well, to continue in Hebrew, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. So just a a couple of bullets in closing. We're all to be developing the character that reflects God's goodness and his love. We're only saved by grace. The ones that the overseers are charged with looking after, with shepherding, they're in the same group when it says we all came, we had nothing. As we sang, we had those empty hands but Jesus came because of his great love. He died on the cross and took our sins. And we just have to come to him in faith and accept him. And just each of us should be living our lives with gratitude, love, and obedience for the one who gave himself for us. I'm just going to close in prayer and we'll ask Gary and Gupta to come back up. Heavenly Father, again, it's just so amazing how you love ones like us. And we just thank you for that. Father, I just pray that nobody here will leave without realizing who Jesus is and putting their trust in him. And Father, help us all just to grow in your grace in your love and to put you first in all we say and do. May you receive the honor and glory.